Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, we're in uh, chapter 12 of Acts, and we're looking at uh, just these different stories and how they uh, have, they have incredible messages for us. And today we look at uh, a story where it's, this is actually the last scene for Peter, the Apostle Peter. He leaves the scene in this story, and we don't see Peter ever again in the book of Acts. So what's happening, this is a transition point. We have, it's all been about Peter and the Jewish people in the first part of Acts, and now we're at that, that hinge like a door where Peter moves off the stage, and then Paul becomes the, the primary focus and the expansion of the gospel to the Gentile world. So that's, what hap- that's what's happening in a, in a sort of a technical sense in the book of Acts at this point. Now, this, uh, this story has some interesting characters in it. Uh, there's, uh, there's Herod, King Herod is mentioned. Then we have um, James uh, the apostle is, is, is executed here. This is the first, by the way, this is the first uh, apostle that's martyred for the faith in history. Now, remember when we studied in Acts chapter 6, there was uh, Stephen, this deacon that served in the church. He was the first martyr of the church. But here we see the f- this is the first of the original 12 that Jesus chose that was martyred for the faith, and he was beheaded by uh, Herod, King Herod. And Peter is, of course, mentioned in this story, and then the church praying for him. So what is the... Uh, who are these people? First of all, King Herod. Who is King Herod? Easy to get mixed up about this. There's a lot of King Herods that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, the King Herod in the Christmas story, Matthew, is Herod the Great. This is not that same King Herod. It's a different King Herod. This is King Herod's grandson, uh, King Herod Agrippa I. So it's a different King Herod. So when you read about it, you know, it's not like you, you like read that and say, well, was King Herod still alive? Uh, King Herod Herod the Great uh, died in 4 B.C., so we know that Jesus was born sometime between 4 and 6 B.C., uh, and there was a mix-up on the calendar, and that's why it's not zero. So somebody asked me last year about, oh gosh, I can't believe that, but that's, that's the truth. So anyhow, um, well, who is this? Uh, let's, first of all, let's talk about the granddad, King Herod the Great. Uh, how, many, how many have ever heard of Herod the Great? You heard of Herod the Great? Herod the Great is this like insane, crazy guy, uh, and he ruled over Judah because Mark Anthony, uh, one of the uh, Roman generals, gave him favor, and he ruled over that area. And, and what we know about King Herod the Great is not good. He was a really, he was a psycho. He was a crazy guy, and uh, maybe it will help you at Christmas time knowing that his family was weirder than your family. This guy is crazy. He's, uh, he, and the reason he's so paranoid and crazy is because he's not fully, he has a little bit of a, uh, a genetic issue. He's, uh, he's part Edomite, which is a descendant of Esau. And so the Jewish people, when they looked at Herod, King Herod, you know, Herod the Great, it's like, you know, you really shouldn't be the king because you've you got this mixed blood. And the Hasmonians were the pure blood of the Jewish people that were supposed to be in charge. And so they didn't, they didn't 
like Herod the Great. And Herod the Great's always, it's like a hamster on the wheel, always running on the wheel trying to please these people. And he couldn't please them. And, and he's terribly paranoid. And that's why when the Magi came, you know, uh, there's a king born, king of the Jews. It freaked him out because he's like, he's really, really insecure. So uh, he marries this woman, uh, uh, Miriam, and uh, she was from the right stock. And he got crazy about her and jealous. And, and uh, her, she had a brother named Aristobulus that was really the rightful heir to the throne, and so Herod killed him. He had him drowned in Jericho. And uh, then, then he got crazy about you know, his wife. He didn't trust her because she, she was really you know, plotting against him, so he killed her. And uh, then uh, five days before he died, uh, fast-forwarding in the Herod the Great story, five days before he died, he had two other of his sons executed and killed and uh you know he didn't he didn't want them to be you know taken any of his territory when he died and so he had them killed so caesar augustus said you know he he said that this at that point he said it was better to be herod's hog than be to be herod's son herod herod was he was he was just he was bad. He was messed up, really bad. And uh, one of the last things he did is, uh, uh, I don't know if you know what a hippodrome is. A hippodrome is a big racetrack. Uh, hippo, I think, is the Latin word for horse, whatever, hippodrome. So the, he had the hippodrome filled with the principal Jewish people, uh, the, big, the, the influencers, the leaders, put in there, incarcerated as he's sick and he's on his deathbed. And he gave orders that when he died, all of those people were to be killed. And the reason he said that was because he wanted uh, people to mourn when he died. And he knew if they killed all those people, they would be, people would be sad. And the order was never carried out. But, but this is Herod the Great. Now, the Herod in this story, King Herod here, is Herod Agrippa I. Now, what's, what's the connection between Herod the Great and Herod uh, Agrippa I? Well, Herod Agrippa I is the grandson of Herod the Great. What's even more twisted in the story is Herod the Great killed Herod Agrippa the first son, or his father. So basically, the grandfather killed the son, and this is the grandson. So they sent him, Herod Agrippa the first, in the Acts story, uh, Herod the Great sent him to Rome to get educated and get cultured and all that. And so while he was in Rome, he made friends. He made some really important friends. He made a friend with a guy by the name of Caligula. Caligula became an uh, emperor. He was crazy, too. There's a lot of crazy people in those days. This guy was crazy, uh, absolutely loony. Uh, he, uh, he actually made his favorite horse a member of the Roman Senate. This is the type of people we're dealing with here. Uh, but, but Caligula was the emperor. He became emperor, and Herod was about his same age. Herod Agrippa I was about his same age, and so they became friends, and they're riding in the chariot. And one day they're riding in a chariot, and uh, Herod Agrippa said, hey, you should be emperor. Well, the emperor heard about that and put Agrippa in jail, and as soon as Tiberius, the emperor that put him in jail, died, Caligula became emperor and, and got Herod Agrippa I out and made him this big, uh, big to-do in Israel, and he became the king in Israel. And he always did things for people to get favors. Now, this is the, this is the Herod way. The Herod paradigm is, I do nice things for people, I do nice things for people that have power, and they will help me. 
So that's how the Herods all operated. And Herod Agrippa that's in this story, he helped Caligula, was favored Caligula because he saw him becoming emperor. And then when Caligula got sick and was going to die, and, and you know, there's a whole story behind that, uh, Herod saw that Claudius was going to be the next emperor, so he helped Claudius become emperor. And so Claudius gave him more territory. So here's the paradigm. We have a person in the story here. It says in verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So this is how he thinks. He thinks, I want to do things for people in order to get what I want. This is how his grandfather operated, and this is how he operates. Now what I want to ask you is, is there a little bit of Herod, that paradigm in you and me? Do we tend to kind of do nice things for people to get something back. Now, I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to say anything out of inappropriate. But, you know, I look at some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the benevolent thing that people do this time of year and companies and all that. And, and I wonder how much, I honestly have to wonder how much of that is PR, that it's the right thing to do. And my question is, is love, is an act of love really an act of love if it has a hidden agenda in it? Is love really love if it's got an invisible IOU attached to it? So I want to think about that a little bit. How does, how does that work? I know how Herod thought, and I know how, how we can think. We can, we can do things for people, and we just look loving. We look caring. We look like we're serving. But in reality, we kind of like want to get something back. We're kind of like Herod. We're going to do something nice, but we want something to come back to us. Have you ever... How anybody lets you in, you're, you know, you're waiting to get in on the road and you're like out on one of them side roads on Route 1, you're trying to get on Route 1 and there's like, there's like 10 miles of traffic and you, there's not a chance you're going to get on the road in the next three months. And then somebody blinks their lights and they let you in there. How many you know that's amazing when that happens? I feel Jesus when that happens. That's wonderful. And you know what you do? You give the little obligatory wave. And you even maybe sometimes honk your horn a little bit. Have you ever let anybody in? And you, you let them in. You do the little light flash thing and you let them in. And you're being good. You're feeling good about yourself. You let them in and they don't give you the wave. How many know that makes you mad as fire? That is not right. I let you in. I want my wave. Give me my wave. I'd like to have a horn honk too if you don't mind. But you know, you, you do things for people sometimes with, with a hidden agenda. And you kind of like, this is the Herod mentality. This is how these people thought. And my question is, is love really love if it's got an agenda attached to it? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13... And it gives the description of what love is. It describes love. It defines love. And it says love is not rude. Love is not this. Love is not that. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. In other words, love does not have an agenda. And I want the Lord to help us as we grow in Him to move away from this sort of doing things with this sort of internal Give me something back. Give me something back. There's something 
in all of us that do that. I don't know, you know, and you get frustrated. You get mad sometimes. You, don't, you maybe don't express it. You're serving, you're helping, you're loving, you're doing, but you're specking loyalty or specking something back. And, and so you kind of maybe get frustrated, get angry because somebody doesn't give you back what you think you should get back because you gave them something. So if you ever have a Coke machine, a big Coke machine, and you know, you got to put the dollar in there to get the Coke out, and you like smooth out the dollar, and you work on it, you got to get all the edges kind of flattened out, and then you put the dollar in, and it takes a while for it to grab it, and finally grabs it, the dollar goes in, you're feeling, you hear the hallelujah chorus, it's going, it's going to happen, and then you push the button, and the Coke machine is broke, and you don't get anything out of the Coke machine after you put your dollar in. How many has that ever happened to? You know that is one of the biggest trials of life you'll ever go through right there. <laughs> what do you do? Well, you kick the Coke machine. You're kicking the Coke machine. You're hitting the Coke machine because the Coke machine didn't give you back what you think you ought to get got because you put something in. And here's, here's what I think is true about life. If you live in the Herod paradigm, you're always looking for something back after you do something good. And I'm just saying that I think what the New Testament teaches and what the Holy Spirit's teaching us as we grow to go to a higher level where we serve out of pure love and we don't serve in order to get anything back. We just serve because we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we love people regardless of whether if they give us anything back or not. You say, Pastor Danny, is there reward? Is there reward for doing loving and kind and wonderful, benevolent things for people. Is there a reward? There, there is a reward. There's actually two rewards. The first reward is, listen to this, helping and loving and serving has its own eter- internal reward, not ex- eternal, but its own internal reward. You know, when you help somebody, you love somebody, and you serve somebody, You are helped in the process. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who refreshes others is himself refreshed. And here's my favorite thing I say a lot. You cannot help someone else without helping yourself. You cannot help someone else without helping yourself. Say it with me. You cannot help someone else without helping yourself. So just the act of serving, just the act of giving helps you. You know, we take people on mission trips, we load them up, they pay all this money and they go to Guatemala and they they sleep in the mud and they climb those mountains and it's hot and the food is is different and and, and you go through all that and, and you go through seven days of that and you bring those people back and they're ecstatic. They're ecstatic, and the reason they're ecstatic is because they have spent seven days pouring out and giving, and they're on this giving high because you can't help other people without helping yourself. Herod thought, I will do something for you, and I'm going to watch you do something for me. That type of giving is polluted giving, and it says in Romans 12, let love be sincere. Let love be Romans 12, let love be sincere. The word sincere says, basically, I looked up the Greek word, and it means to not have, doesn't have a plot or an agenda attached to it. So let love be sincere. Say that with me, let love be sincere. 
So the other thing about giving, giving is it, you know, serving without an agenda, serving and giving without agenda. The other thing about that is, is remember this, uh, God sees our acts of love and God is our rewarder for everything we do. It says this, God will not be a debtor to no man. God sees what you do. And here's what's interesting. Here's an important principle. Sometimes you sow in this field, you give in this field, but you reap in this field. Sometimes you give over here and you're investing in maybe a person or something and you're giving and nothing seems to come back, but you actually reap somewhere else. It says in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the water. Just give, cast your bread on the water and it will return to you after many days. So that's the first principle about Herod. The second principle about just the little, let me, little, little uh, nugget in the story. Uh, the person that is martyred here is James. There's a lot of James. Later, you're going to see in the book of Acts another James, and that's James, the brother of Jesus. The leader of the Jerusalem church became James, the brother of Jesus, which is very, very interesting. He is the key figure. Peter really travels and does a lot of things, but James, the brother of Jesus, is really the primary bishop or leader of the city of Jerusalem and has a major role to play. Um, but this is not that James. This is James, one of the uh, sons of Zebedee. This is the fisherman that Jesus called on the Sea of Galilee. Remember one sunny day, Jesus is walking along the northern section, northern uh, end of the Sea of Galilee, and he called Andrew and his brother Simon Peter, who's in the story here. And then he called James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And it's what's interesting about Matthew's version is it says they were in the boat with their father. I'd never seen that before until this week. They were in the boat with their father. Their dad was in the boat with them working on the nets. And they were going to inherit that business. And that was their dad. And they left their dad. And they left his business. And they followed Jesus. And this is the James who followed uh, Jesus leaving the boat. And he was friends. They were neighbors with Andrew and Simon. And they uh, left to follow Jesus. And they're called the sons of thunder, meaning they had incredible boldness and courage. And they were just these incredible young men. They're probably in their early 20s at this point, teenagers, early 20s. And this, this guy, James, was, was the first uh, disciple to be martyred. And what's interesting about his martyrdom there's a couple things about that that's interesting. The first thing that's interesting about it is because that one, one day when he was following Jesus as a disciple, he and his brother John came in. One story said his mother came with him, and they said, when you come into your kingdom, will you uh, see that James and John, we can sit one at your right, one at your left in the coming kingdom. And what did Jesus say to them? This is so insightful. It connects right to the story. What he says to Uh, James and John, he says, well, that's not mine to give, but are you able to drink of the cup that I drink of? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, yes, Lord, we are. And he said, you indeed will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, and we will drink of the cup I drink of. And what he's talking about there, he's not talking about water baptism. He's not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the baptism of suffering. That just the way Jesus was crucified, that one of these apostles, these apostles themselves, are going to taste of that same suffering. So when James is the first apostle martyred, there's a connection to a conversation he had with Jesus in his ministry. The other question I want to ask is, before I move to the 
central point of the story. The other question I would ask is, why in the world are you willing to be beheaded for, for Jesus? Why would somebody in the first century be willing to be beheaded for Jesus? Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? You and I read that in our Western sensibilities. It, it just makes us really nervous. And I don't add the story to me. It makes me very nervous. And I think, what would I do if I was there? We have all those thoughts as we bring it to the text. We think about that. But why was James willing to be beheaded for his faith? Why was he willing to be a martyr for his faith? Very simple. The simple answer is... Is, is that he was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was in that room on Easter when Jesus passed through the wall. He saw his hands as nail prints. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He knew the reality of Jesus. He knew how real Jesus was. And he was willing to do anything because this was real. This world is just a stepping point to get to the eternal world. And he knew that and he had full confidence in that. So when you struggle with your faith and I struggle with our faith, we need to take a quick look at these early apostles that they knew he was real. They knew Jesus was real and they gave everything in order order to follow him. It's wonderful. Our faith is secure because it's, it comes from people that saw Jesus raised from the dead and they experienced that. That's incredible. But fast forward to Peter. Peter is, uh, when Herod Agrippa I sees that Peter is, uh, sees that, that having James executed wins him political favor, he said, okay, I'm going for the big kahuna. I'm going for the big fish. I'm going for Peter. And he gets Peter. And he incarcerates him during the Passover, uh, the unleavened bread, feast of unleavened, because there's thousands and thousands of people. He wants all these people to see this. So he incarcerates Peter, and Peter is in jail. And he plans to bring him out. And what's he going to do? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's he going to do. He's already killed James. He's going to kill Peter. He's going to kill Peter. He's going to behead Peter. And the Bible says that the church prayed for Peter and, and all of that. And uh, just a quick little side point, you know, I, uh, why did James go to heaven and Peter was delivered in the story? You know, uh, I, don't think it's the, I don't think it's the faith of the church. I don't think that they prayed with faith. Some people think, well, the church didn't pray for James, and so James was not saved. And they prayed for Peter, and Peter was saved. I don't think that's it at all. I personally don't think that's it at all. Uh, because I just think God had a plan. He had a purpose for James, and it was time for James to go to heaven and be with the Lord. And uh, James went to heaven, and Peter had some more work to do. And, uh, and by the way, the church wasn't praying with a lot of faith. How many know that? They're all praying, oh, Lord, please set Peter free. They're praying. They're fasting. They're just in, they're in John Mark's house. They're praying. They're praying. Peter gets released. He goes and knocks on the door. He got out of prison, but couldn't get in their house. It's amazing. It's a, he, he knocked on the door and they said, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. It wasn't their faith because they didn't hardly had any. But anyhow, Peter is in, what I want you to see in the story is, uh, is, uh, Verse 6, Acts 12, verse 6. We'll put it on the screen here. Acts 12, verse 6. Uh, I love this part of the story. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. And how that worked was they had 16 guards that were employed to take care of Peter. Uh, there was a, a guard that was... Uh, was tethered to his left arm, a guard that was tethered to his right arm, and that was in the jail. And in, outside of the jail door, there were two more guards. So he was in an impossible situation. There's no getting out of that. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was, was sleeping. 
Peter was sleeping. Danny Tice, what would you be doing if you're in jail and you're going to be taken to trial the next morning and probably executed? Are you going to be sleeping? You see the poise. You see the peace. You see the tranquility that Peter had because he had come to a place in his faith where he knew how to trust the Lord and love the Lord and he knew that the Lord was with him. He learned that from Jesus. He was in the boat when the storms were raging on the Sea of Galilee. He saw that. He saw and they couldn't find Jesus. They went to find Jesus and he's in the stern sleeping. He had learned from Jesus how to trust the Father in times of crises. And here's what Anxiety is. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with anxiety. Um, if you ever wrestled with anxiety, you know, a lot of us have struggled with different levels of anxiety. Anxiety is imagining a moment in the future that you dread where you're standing all by yourself. Anxiety is imagining a moment in your future where you're standing by yourself. Freedom from anxiety is imagining a moment of challenge in the future where Jesus is standing beside you. The key to overcoming anxiety is to recognize, Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know when I get to that point in the future where I'm dreading, I know you're going to be standing right beside me. You're going to be with me. Anxiety is imagining a moment where we're alone and the Lord is not with us. And what does it say at Christmas time? What's our favorite passage at Christmas? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And say that with me. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He is standing with you as you come to that moment in the future. I think about, you know, Peter sleeping, and, and I, I don't know. How many here have ever... You've had some anxiety and you've had some things happen in your life and there's some stuff happening at work, stuff happening with your family, stuff going on in your life, and you go to bed at night and you can't sleep. Anybody ever have a little insomnia? You ever go through that? And don't you hate it when you can't sleep and everybody else is sleeping? Doesn't that make you mad? You're sleeping and your wife is just, she's out, she's in a coma, she is gone. I'm not going to say she's snoring, but she's in a coma, she is sleeping. <laughs> Same thing happens to me. Karen says when, when she can't sleep, she thinks, oh, you're just sleeping away. Peter is sleeping. He is, he is sawing some, he's, he's sawing some Z's. I mean, he's like, he is out. The man is gone. He's sleeping. And he's facing execution. I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to walk in that level of trust where I trust the Lord and whatever that challenging things in front of me that I don't see myself standing there by myself, but I see Jesus standing with me. I saw uh, Charles uh, Stanley, Andy Stanley's dad. It's interesting, everybody knows Andy now and Charles' dad, uh, Charles Stanley, in touch. How many know Charles Stanley from TV? Great, great guy. He's the uh, same age as my dad. He's 81. And my dad, you know, he says, oh, I don't know, I'm getting too old to preach and all that. I say, hey, dad, you know, you know, do whatever the Lord leads you, but you're the same age as Charles Stanley. You and him are both going at it, man. And 
Charles Stanley, when he went to Atlanta, First Baptist Church in Atlanta, it was like a bloodbath. It was a political war there. It was awful. They were trying to get rid of him. It's terrible stuff happening. He's 30 years old. And it just, I mean, heard the inside stories about all the stuff that went on. Terrible, terrible stuff. And uh, he's going through all that, and they're trying to get rid of him. And things are, everybody's, you know, seems like people are against him and all that. And so this little old lady in the church, she's like 70 years old. She says, uh, Charles, I want you to come up for lunch to my apartment. And he said, well, she was 70 and I was 30, so I felt safe. So I went. <laughs> said before they had lunch, she said to him, I want to show you something. They walked in the hall and there was a big picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And she said to Charles Stanley, 30-year-old Charles Stanley, getting his brains beat out at First Baptist Church in Atlanta. She said, Charles, tell me what you see in this picture. And, and she's like, uh, you know, he's looking and he's describing the lions. And he, she, she said, that's not it. Look at the picture. And then she said, look at Daniel. And then Charles said he got it. He said Daniel had his arms behind his back and he's looking up to the heavens. And he's looking through that little hole at the top of the cave. And, he, and she said to him, Charles, he's not looking at the lions. He's looking at the Lord. You have anxiety, and I have anxiety when we're looking at the lions. But when we're looking at the Lord, the anxiety disappears. For me, this, this season of the year, December, I have to really get ready because December, I get stressed out on December. I don't know why. There's so much to do, and I'm like a guy that, you know, I eat, you know, same thing on, for lunch every Thursday. You know, I'm like, I'm like a routine guy, and there's all this stuff happening, and it's so busy, and, and uh, I just feel a little stressed. So I have to get prayed up about that and, and uh, feel anxious about all the stuff to do and, you know, all the whole stuff and all that so... Uh, we went to Sight and Sound, and I was watching the scene, in, uh, the Jesus scene in Sight and Sound about uh, Mar- Mary and Martha. How many have been to Sight and Sound and see the Jesus thing? It's amazing. That, my whole favorite thing in the thing is where Martha and Mary, that scene with Mar- Martha and Mary, where Mar- Martha's fixing all the dinners, and she's all stressed out, and she's all anxious. And, uh, you know, that's me. I'm like Martha. Man, I'm just like, you know, I got all this stuff to do, and I'm all worked up and all that. And, and then you got Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking at him in the face and looking at Jesus, staring at Jesus. And uh, in the scene there, Martha's saying, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all this work? And Mary's just sitting there looking at you, staring at you in the classic line. Jesus said, well, Martha, I've never really liked her cooking anyhow. That's what he said. And then... <laughs> now, that is seriously funny. Now, that's a Jesus I can relate to right there. What's the difference between Martha and Mary? Martha, she's all looking at the pots boiling over. She's looking at all she has to do. And, and Mary's just looking at Jesus. So what you look at determines what goes on inside of your heart. And evidently, Peter was not looking at, he wasn't looking at the executioner's sword. He wasn't looking at Herod Agrippa I. He was looking at his father. He was looking at Jesus. And he had the capacity to go to sleep because he had peace, because the Lord was in control. You know where I, when I get my best sleep? I get my best sleep on airplanes. I can sleep on airplanes. I'm telling you, I get in an airplane 
And I'm just, I'm just gone. I can sleep on an airplane. The reason I can sleep on an airplane is because I just like put that seat back, you know, put it back as far as I can, get in the lap of the other person. I get, <laughs> put that seat back and I go to sleep. I can sleep from, you know, all the way from uh, Philadelphia to Atlanta. I mean, I just sleep the whole time. It's because I know that there's in the cockpit, there's a pilot that knows what he's doing. There's a pilot that knows how to fly that plane knows how to get where I'm supposed to get, and knows how to land that plane safely. And when you go through life, you and I can sleep because we have a heavenly pilot who knows how to fly the plane and knows how to land it where we're supposed to be. Can you say a big amen? Amen. amen. There, let's go ahead and clap. We were thinking about it. I, should we clap? It was a pretty good point. I don't know. Hey, listen, what, I've, I've read this this week. Isn't this interesting? They've done a study. The number one reason that college students seek out counseling services at universities now is anxiety. The number one reason. 62% of, a, of college students that go make an appointment to talk to the counselor at a college are going there because of anxiety. And how about this? Amazon. Uh, I don't know if you read electronic books. You know, I have an iPad. I read a lot of stuff on Amazon. Of course, they track every time you highlight something in a book. So a couple months ago, Amazon came out with the most highlighted passages in, in, in books that people are reading, like uh, Harry Potter books and they, the most uh, highlighted ones. Amazon knows everything about you. They know where you are right now. They know. But they also tracked how, what was the most highlighted passage in the Holy Bible. And, you know, you would think it would be like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or you think it would be like the Lord's Prayer or maybe, you know, Sermon on the Mount. You know what the most highlighted, Amazon has confirmed, the most highlighted passage in the Bible is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I love that passage. And I always tell people when they come to me and talk to me and and I say, anything that makes you anxious, you should be praying about. We should be praying about things that make us anxious. Don't be anxious. The word anxious there in the Greek means to pull apart. It's the same word, a house divided. To be anxious means to be pulled apart. You're pulled in a lot of directions. Don't be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. I had a I had a lot to do this week, one of those weeks for me and probably for you as well. And I remember uh, thinking about this moment coming to this pulpit when I was speaking this morning. And imagine that moment today. I imagine Jesus being with me at this moment. Jesus is with me right now. And Jesus is with you. He's with you and he's going to help you for whatever you're facing. Anxiety is imagining a moment in the future when God is not beside you. Would you say this with me? 
There is no moment that scares me or intimidates me that God will not be with me in that moment. I have a friend, uh, Bible College, a guy named Dirk Wood, guy I went to Bible College with back in the 80s, 1979 through 81. He was, a, it was everybody's hero. He was an evangelist. He loved Jesus. He just was bold for his faith, and we were all intimidated. He'd go preach in the mall. He's just an amazing guy. Got him Dirk Wood, um, and uh, we all wanted to be like Dirk. And Dirk, you know, became a missionary. He went, uh, you know, to London first, and he regularly preaches in Hyde Park. Uh, I've got pictures of him preaching at Hyde Park, and he's just an amazing guy. Actually, there was like a David Letterman show in London. He was invited on and got to tell the whole country about Jesus, and uh, just an incredible guy, really, really bold. And he also has a ministry in the Philippines. It's called Rise and Shine Ministries, and he also uh, has a ministry in Cape Town, South Africa, where he lives. And I got a newsletter from him this week. And I uh, emailed him. I said, Dirk, I want to tell this story. He, he said last week he was in Cape Town, uh, and he lives in Cape Town. I don't know if you know about Cape Town, South, uh, South Africa. Cape Town, South Africa, it's like, the, it's like the murder capital of the world. There's probably more people killed and murdered in, in uh, Cape Town than anywhere in the world. And uh, South Africa is very, you know, because of the poverty and all that. So he, was gonna, he said, I was taking a, a morning jog. And as I was preparing for the morning jog, he said, uh, I always take a couple pages of Scripture. He has like a leaf Bible. He takes a notebook thingy. And he said, uh, I always take a couple pages of the Bible to meditate on while I'm jogging. And he said, I took out of my Bible uh, Proverbs 3 and 4. And he was meditating on that while he's jogging. And, uh, and so Dirk is... Uh, jogging and he said I was very conscious I was in a suburb of Cape Town where I needed to be very conscious of my safety because it's a very violent area and so uh, he said I was you know meditating on the Lord and also kind of watching where I was and he said I went down this one road and I saw these eight people coming toward me these eight young men coming toward me he said I diverted my uh, my route uh, a different direction and I ran uh, to avoid them and he said I'm meditating on Proverbs uh, three, five, and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He said, I got done with my run, and I bent over, and I got in my, uh, I, I was out of breath a little bit, and then I stood up, and I'm walking to kind of cool down, and as I go around the corner, there's the, there are those eight, eight guys, those eight young guys, and kind of hoodlum kind of guys, and he said, uh, here's what Dirk did. He's just, this is what he does. He just, he started preaching to them, telling them about Jesus. He said, I'm reading Proverbs 3, 5. It's trusting the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He said, any of you ever read the Bible? None of them raised their hand. He said, any of you ever worried? He said, all eight of them raised their hands. And he said, I talked to them about 10 minutes about trusting the Lord and about loving the Lord and letting the Lord watch over you. And Dirk said, after about 10 minutes, I got those, those young thugs in a circle and I prayed for them. And I, after I got done praying for him, I started to walk away. And I said, I got about 10 steps away. And one guy said, preacher, I said, preacher, thank you so much. I needed to hear that today. I needed to know that I can trust the Lord. And let me tell you something. I don't know what's coming at you. But you need to be linked in to Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not not. on your own understanding. What does that mean? Don't let your twirling mind, everything you're thinking about, don't let that rule your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. He will prepare the way you're supposed to go. I just, uh, I love it. Peter's sleeping. He's snoring. He's dreaming of catching fish. He's having a great deep rim sleep. I mean, he's out. He's out that the light shines in the cell, doesn't even wake him up. The angel has to wake him up. The angel has to slap him on the side to wake him up. An angelic alarm clock had to wake him up. And he got up and he said, Peter, get dressed. The pickle he was in, the mess he was in, his chains fell off, walked by the guards, guards didn't see him, walked to the second level, got out of the prison, the iron gate separated, and the Lord had a plan for Peter, and God worked in his situation. And I started out with, I'm going to close here, I'm going to, about five minutes over. I'm going to close uh, here, uh, but the, I started out with the message idea was that God delivers out of the impossible situations of our lives, and, and He can do that for you. He can do that for you. Uh, let's just lift our hands this morning. Let's say, let's let, let the Lord take that anxiety out of our heart. I want you to sleep good this week. I want you to sleep, not while you're driving home, but I want you to sleep. <laughs> I want you to sleep and rest, be at peace. Don't imagine stuff without Jesus at your side. God, I pray for this great group. I thank you that you're calling us. You call us all together today because we needed this. We needed to hear you and you haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. Lord, things that we're dread, you, you don't dread anything. We dread things. We're worried about things. You're not worried about anything and you're at our side and you take our hand and we thank you that we can sleep. We can be at peace because you are our father. And you're watching over us. I pray your blessing on us as we go into a new week. We go into this new week as disciples of Jesus, serving you at our jobs, serving you at our schools, serving you at our community, because we belong to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Love the Lord. Say a big amen. Let's celebrate. Hallelujah. Love you guys.